I'm Shelby Schlangbergen, and this is Living Over Losing, unfiltered and unrestrained. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm so, so excited to have Corey Phillips on the show. She is a licensed professional counselor. She's licensed in Tennessee and Virginia. She also is an experienced registered yoga teacher um, at the 200 level. And she has her own business, Deep Well Journey, where she does therapy, yoga, she's experienced in meditation. She's just an awesome human, so I'm excited to have her. Welcome, Corey. <laughs> Thanks, Shelby. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate yeah, of it. Course. So I guess the first question is just kind of getting a background of what you're doing now um, with Deep Well Journey and your, you know, your different types of therapy, how you typically use and really what are, what are you doing right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm happy to answer that. So my business, Deep Well Journey, is um, completely independent. So that means it's only me. I don't have any other employees. There aren't any other counselors or yoga instructors with me. And it's it's a direct pay private practice. So what that means is it's insurance free. Mm -hmm. And I prefer that model because what I do with my clients isn't regulated by um, insurance companies telling me what I can bill for. So that gives me a lot of freedom with my clients to um, explore things like meditation, like mindful movement, yoga, um, and also, obviously, I bring in the talk therapy component. As far as talk therapy, you know, I was trained at at ETSU um, University in uh, East Tennessee State University, and I was trained in a variety of uh, interventions and techniques, but there are a few that I use primarily. I use a little bit of CBT, that's cognitive behavioral therapy. most modern therapists are are heavily trained in CBT, so that's pretty common. I also use a psychoanalytic approach, so that's kind of where the deep well comes in. I like to help people kind of dive into themselves and explore the past traumas, values, goals, emotions that they've been disconnected from, attachment to thoughts, um, things of that nature. I think we do a lot of focusing in this day and age on every outside of us, external influence, stimulation, you know, external values, things that are kind of um, expected of us or forced on us by society. So in general, I really try and get people to dive into selves um, and live in a more genuine way, which I think increases happiness. So I, I work with people with depression, eating disorders, anxiety, trauma, and addiction, kind of my main main focuses. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important to the psychoanalytic side of it. So mm-hmm. we'll get a little bit more into that later because I have questions about that. Um, sure. Sure. I feel like with a lot of therapists and people that are really eager to help other people, there's kind of like a background story that got them to that point of, of passion. So I'm, I'm just wondering, like, what is your story that got you to this business and got you to this profession and how, how did you get to this point? Yeah. How did I end up as a counselor yeah. and a yoga teacher? Right. Um, and how, yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's your story? Yeah. I guess my story would start um, by saying that there is something in me that has always been there that has been very intrigued interested, curious about the human mind and behavior. And, you know, talking to my parents, uh, that goes back as far as they can remember that I've always been this kind of 
curious, um, introspective being. I have always felt compelled to listen to people's problems. I think before I even knew what I was doing, I understood on some sort of spiritual level, even as, as a kid, that that was compassionate to do for other people. And it was it was needed. People were hungry for it. So as you can imagine, in my youth, that led to some interesting relationship dynamics and situations, yes. even with teachers, you know, in school, I would carry on conversations with them and they would tell me things that, you know, were maybe <laughs> a little inappropriate for my age. And my parents were like, how is she getting into these conversations? Mm -hmm. so <laughs> it kind of happened, you know, pretty young. And so I think I knew I had decided, I guess, in high school that I was going to pursue some kind of education on, you know, mental health or, or counseling psychology. So it was a pretty easy choice for me then when um, I went to college to make that decision. I should back up a little bit though and say that when I was in high school um, at 16 years old, I was in a horse accident and suffered a very severe spinal injury and was almost paralyzed, um, kind of made it through without being paralyzed uh, by the skin of my teeth. And that, that injury, I think, is really what kind of planted some seeds for my future in yoga and the mind-body connection. Wow. Um, and it, it did you know, it planted those seeds in, in more ways than one. Obviously, you know, going through a trauma like that myself, I had to, to learn a lot about how to reconnect to my mind and my body, you know, when I was recovering from that. And that trauma left a lot of um, kind of unresolved issues in my life that, that, that I had to learn how to work through. And for me, the combination of talk therapy with, you know, a counselor, and yoga, you know, the, the movement-based therapy was kind of the ticket for, for what really helped me um, recover and, and grow and use that experience actually to my benefit instead of just, you know, remaining the victim of that. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing story. <laughs> Backing up um, to what you were just talking about, I know for, like you said, that you had pretty in-depth connections with teachers or even just other peers at a young age. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I felt like that too. And I, I know other people that I felt like that and like that strong, sensitive personality. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that is kind of not a precursor, but it's kind of attributes to people that don't really know how to deal with all of these sensitive emotions and being just highly sensitive. It's, is that kind of like, do you see that being more common with, eating disorders or addiction or yes. struggling. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And there's an incredible book on this um, called the highly sensitive person by Elaine Aaron. A-R-O-N is her, how to spell her last name. Okay. Um, this, you know, I think that a lot of mental and emotional health issues are really misunderstood and and what's troubling to me is in this day and age we've gotten into this pattern of really pathologizing in any kind of mental emotional issue um, and by pathologizing that we've started to throw medications at all of those things and mm -hmm. And it's really, I think, missing the mark. Um, and one of one of the things that it's missing is this highly sensitive component. I'm so glad you you brought that up. You know, 
um, all of us are, are different in terms of our nervous system and how we process information. And a lot of people in the world are much, much more sensitive to other people's emotional experiences. Um, and without, you know, having someone that explains to you, this is what's happening. You're just highly sensitive and here's how we can manage it. You know, a lot of that sensitivity ends up manifesting in sometimes unhealthy coping skills right? to kind of be able to just regulate our system when we're so triggered and, and so sensitive and kind of so emotionally in tune or connected with others around us. And because we're not taught about that at a young age, it's, it's a very misunderstood thing. And and that sensitivity, you're, you're totally right, Shelby, can um, manifest in addiction, OCD type behaviors, um, incredibly high anxiety, depression, isolation. Yeah, all, all kinds of, of difficult things to deal with. Yeah, I feel, I mean, for me personally, I've all, I'm a really sensitive person and I have been since forever. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's kind of and like how you said that you are sensitive to other people's emotions too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that still, I feel like that I, the, my sensitive side isn't ever going to change, but it's the way that I process that information now. Like sometimes, and when I was growing up, I felt almost like an emotional sponge. <laughs> like I would take yes. people's emotions. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. just, and then like with my own emotions and then it was so much emotions, I just couldn't handle it. And so I think that's why people go to these other things because they're trying to not think about all of these emotions where we should somehow be trying to learn how to accept the emotions as they come and just, okay, yeah, this is how I feel. This is what's happening. And okay, mm-hmm. that's, that's that instead of just being like so overwhelmed that you need an escape. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, naming this, especially for children, you know, I, I love that you mentioned that you felt this way your whole life. Most highly sensitive people do, you know, you're, you're born with this disposition or maybe even you developed it because of the environment that you were in. And, um, you know, we also have kind of this, um, this negative judgment against sensitivity, against that word. And the messages I got, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, you know, was kind of, don't be sensitive. Oh, you're being too sensitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's a gift. It really is a gift. If yeah. you have the, the training and the coping skills to learn how to take care of yourself so you, you're not constantly overstimulated and, and you know, your sensitivity isn't, isn't always kind of um, in an activated state. We also live in this very, very hurried kind of multitasking, um, anxious uh, society right now where individual sensitivities aren't really taken into account. Um, everyone is supposed to live in a similar way and work 40 hours a week and, you know, usually even more than that. And Right. Um, and it's just kind of like you're pushing that stuff aside because you, you don't have time to focus yes. on it. Yes. But that doesn't really necessarily make the problem or, like, or the, the sensitivity go away. It definitely doesn't, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And usually that will just pop up, you know, shoving that, that kind of sensitivity down. It will make it pop up in another area, um, like, you know, in an anxious, um, behavior. Yeah. And being with being sensitive also, I feel, I mean, this is again, me speaking from my perspective, but I feel like I myself was very 
sensitive, but also sensitive to what other people thought of me. For some reason, I almost wanted people, like I wanted everyone to like me. And I feel like that's very common with sensitive people. I wanted everyone to like me. I didn't want to do anything wrong. And I really cared about what other people thought about me, which kind of makes it hard for someone to be authentic. Like you're kind of trying to please everyone else. Mm -hmm. So do you... Do you find that too? Like it's almost makes it harder to be like your authentic self if you're trying to just please everyone else so that you don't have to feel upset. (laughs) Yes. I think that those definitely go hand in hand. I mean, there's also kind of an added dynamic for young women in uh, this culture where we are expected to take care of people even more. Um, we're mm-hmm. expected to make sure that everyone's okay and put everyone before ourselves. And I'm not saying that's not true for young men to some degree, but um, I feel like it's especially a challenge for young women. Um, so when you have a young woman um, like yourself, it sounds like who was kind of innately, inherently sensitive and then grew up in a culture where the expectations for how you would treat others, that you would put others before yourself and that you would take care of others, that combination can, I think, result in kind of this perfect storm where your attention is brought so far outside of yourself that it's almost impossible impossible to be genuine. You know, mm-hmm. if you are almost in kind of a hypervigilant way to put in, in the sense of trauma, if you are constantly trying to monitor and pay attention to how other people are doing, how other people are receiving you, how you're affecting other people, are they okay? Is there something I need to change, you know? It, it turns into this absolute spiral, um, you know, of anxious energy mm-hmm. until you kind of learn how to manage that energy, bring it back inside and think about yourself, what you need, what you want, what's best for you. That spiral can get, can get really out of control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you have any advice on how to start? Like, so let's say someone feels this way, but they have no idea. I know it's really hard to know like what, okay, so I feel this way, but I'm not really sure how to stop feeling this way or how to change mm-hmm. my habits, how to change my thought process. Mm-hmm. What are some things that people can do, or maybe that you work with your clients to, to start this journey of like looking deeper in self-discovery? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have three kind of basic answers for that. Um, You know, the first one would be talk therapy. Obviously I'm a big believer in that, you know, it really has positively affected my life, you know, positively affected so many of my loved ones lives. um, And I've seen a lot of my clients go through some pretty amazing transformations um, just through being able to kind of talk through the life that you've led so far, you know, your, your pain, your trauma, your goals, how you want to, you know, um, proceed with life, uh, what, what makes you fulfilled and happy, you know, those, those kind of things. The second thing I would suggest would be start some kind of contemplative practice. So something that brings you inside of yourself. Mm -hmm. Examples of that are meditation, mindfulness, um, breathing, um, and, and yoga. And I think the third suggestion was actually going to be yoga, but I threw that in with the second. So, um, you know, yoga is incredibly, an incredibly healing way 
to bridge that um, gap between the mind and the body. Mm -hmm. And that can be very important because when you're a sensitive person, like we were saying, and your awareness and your attention is, is anxiously focused on um, the external world, very healing and calming to um, be able to bring your attention back into your body and you know, yoga, breathing with movement can, can really help bridge that gap and can also pick up where talk therapy kind of leaves off. They're, they're different treatment modalities, but definitely extremely complementary. Right, exactly. I was going to say, I think it's, for me, in my experience, yoga, when I was, when I had problems with exercise, exercise addiction, I would do mm-hmm. yoga, but it wasn't how yoga is supposed to be done. It was yeah. I'm doing the hardest class I can for the most calories burned. And that's all I care about. And if we're in Shavasana, I'm laying there thinking, why am I laying here? I should be moving, <laughs> you know? Yes. So, like but, all about exercise and, and, and weight yeah, loss. Yeah. And I would try, I would try to connect um, to myself because I knew, you know, okay, this is possible. I hear people say it like it has to be true and it has to happen. But until I started doing other things like talk therapy, like you said, um, I didn't really notice a difference in, yeah. in that, in my practice. I think that changed when I guess I just became more aware of, of what was going on in my mind and my body. Yeah. Because it seems like, I know that one of your big things that you do is mind-body connection. And mm-hmm. first, let's just take a step back and like, what does mind-body connection really mean to you? That's a great question. I mean, because you think, well, my mind and my body are connected. I'm all one, but it's really not. It's really two separate things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, I think most of us in this modern world live with a chronic disconnection of mind from body. And, it, you know, a good example of those disconnections are some of the things that we've already mentioned, um, like disordered eating, OCD, addiction is, the, mm-hmm. is a perfect example of that. So, you know, mind-body connection to me, it's all about bringing your attention to the present moment. So, so much of the time, like for example, in depression, our thoughts are consumed with what has happened in our past, um, you know, or our, the, the hopeless feelings we have about the future. Or with anxiety, once again, our mind is taken away from us. We're worrying about things that, you know, aren't even necessarily happening in, in the present moment and are most likely beyond our control. So our mind isn't connected to our body in that moment. And, you know, I, I think of it kind of like all of us know that every once in a while we have to turn our computer or our phone off for like a reboot. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think about mindfulness meditation, you know, yoga, the mind-body connection is it gives your mind a break from worrying and, and thinking and brings your mind back into the present moment, focusing on your body. Where am I now? What is happening for me in this moment? Can I allow myself to take a break and just connect with what it feels like to be sitting on this yoga mat or what it feels like to be moving my arm in this way and, and what's happening with my shoulder and, oh, I noticed this pain in my hip, you know, so it's actually kind of an intimate connection with yourself. It's an intimacy with, with your own body, which can be much more healing and 
wonderful of an experience than just slaving your body to death, you know, in order to obtain some sort of unrealistic expectation. Yeah. 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 And I wonder what, what do you think makes our society and our culture so disconnected? I know that like you had mentioned before that, you know, being sensitive is kind of looked at as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, don't be sensitive. You're not, you know, nobody wants to hear about your feelings. Your, your mm-hmm. feelings don't matter. What do you think it is that got us to this point of just so, so much disconnect that it's almost oh like gosh, if you yeah. are connected, you're weird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that, right. yeah, and it's, and that's just so bizarre when you think about it. Yeah. I think that that is an extremely, extremely complex question. That's a great question. And and I could probably talk about that for hours. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with power and fear. I think in our culture right now, there's, there's a kind of primary focus on power over um, instead of power with. So this is a culture of you know, um, climbing the ladder of big business, of central government control. You know, I could go on and on about this, but there's this idea that if you aren't successful in these very specific ways, then you don't have worth. And in order to attain that success, um, that, that success story, that narrative that we're kind of fed, you, you have to disconnect um, the mind from the body. You have to disconnect from yourself um, in order to kind of buy into that cultural narrative. Because what if you feel differently, you know, and you want to live your life differently? Well, that's not very accepted. So, so you better disconnect um, right. from that and kind of go with this dominant societal theme, which is don't listen to, you know, your internal world, just focus on how you can achieve the typical success in the external world. Once again, I think that's a, that's a complex issue. And, (laughs) you know, that's been evolving for many, many years. Um, There's a fantastic, I don't know if you're familiar with the the chakra energy system. That's also something Mm -hmm. that um, I have done a lot of self-education on and, and very interested in. And, um, there's a wonderful book called Wheels of Life by Anadia Judith, and, and she talks about culturally, uh, actually worldwide, um, humanity is trying right now to move from, you know, this third chakra, which is kind of power dominant, into the heart chakra, which is more about acceptance and openness and love and connection. And, you know, I, I do see that happening, although sometimes with some of the more scary things that are happening in the world and politically, that can be hard to see, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I see people like you, Shelby, all the time that are, that are focusing more on living a genuine life and showing love and compassion to yourself as well as others and taking time for yourself. And so I think we're moving in that direction. Yeah. I but, think, you know, too. we all go through kind of, kind of evolutionary phases as in humanity, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so that kind of brings me to what we're talking about, um, kind of the over the umbrella topic is spirituality. So when I heard spirituality before I started this whole journey, I just thought that meant like religion. To Mm -hmm. me, that meant your religious practice. And Mm -hmm. really, that doesn't mean that at all. (laughs) Right. right. Um, And it's, I don't know, it's something that's also not really talked about or explained. Mm -hmm. And it's why a lot of people misconstrue what it means. Mm -hmm. Um, so for you, like, 
how did you connect with the spiritual side of yourself through, or, I mean, I know you said through yoga and all that and all the stuff that you've done, talk therapy and all of that, but really, I guess the better question is what, what does spirituality mean? Like it doesn't mean religion. What Mm -hmm. does it really mean? Mm -hmm. For me, spirituality means a feeling of an experience, I should say, of being connected to something greater than, you know, this physical world that our, our souls are living in. I, I don't um, consider myself a part of any religion, but I consider mm-hmm. myself very, very spiritual. So, you know, there are ways that at this point in my life, I, I worship, you know, and, and I have spiritual time, but it's, it's more about, um, for me, understanding that, you know, we are all just these souls traveling through this body in this very short amount of time, and we're all connected to each other. And um, that, you know, the ultimate goal is love and harmony with one another, um, and helping each other through this journey. And when I had my first kind of spiritual awakening, it, it was through um, contemplative practices. It was through breathing and meditation. When I was, uh, when I um, got into this kind of meditative experience where I felt like I was part of everything, everything mm-hmm. in the world, every other person, the grass, the trees, you know, spirituality, I guess, you know, to shorten it to me is about feeling connected to, yeah. to everyone and everything and how much bigger and, and greater that is than, than feeling like you're just this one, you know, solitary individual person that's mm-hmm. having to just kind of plod through life all on your own. And it's really hard to break out of that feeling because I feel like mm-hmm. that's almost, yeah, like that's our society. That's how we grow up. So yes. It's hard. Very to, individualistic. It's really hard to, to get to that point, but it's, it's so worth it. And I just, another thing too, that I think kind of might contribute to this is human connection and mm-hmm. isolation. Yeah. I know. So I was trying to distract myself with exercise or whatever food and that isolated myself from everyone else. Yes. And I think that was a huge, I didn't even realize that I was lonely, but I was lonely. Yeah. And I, and I think that's very common with a lot of other people, the isolation and you don't Absolutely. realize like how much human connection really matters. Oh my gosh. After food, water, and shelter, it is the number one thing. I mean, it, it, we need it. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, and, and another book recommendation, although I, I admit I haven't read it yet, but it's on, I just downloaded it um, to Audible. There's a fantastic author um, named Johan Hari, H-A-R-I, and he has just written um, his, I think it's his second um, kind of mainstream book, and it's called Lost Connections, um, mm-hmm. and it's about this, this exact topic that we're talking about. It's about how, you know, the increase of depression, especially in our society, and in other individualistic cultures is because we have lost this, you know, kind of tribal connection that as humans were it's made like a basic need to, it's a basic need. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We need to experience it. Yeah. And loneliness. I'm glad you brought up that word. I mean, loneliness is, is a significant trigger um, for a lot of, of 
behavioral disorders um, and, and for anxiety and depression. Yeah, definitely. And it, it makes sense. Yeah, and it's just like another thing too um, that I kind of wanted to bring up with you was self-esteem and mm-hmm. how your self-esteem, because I think self-esteem can really make a difference. And it's hard to, to just, I mean, a lot, like a lot of people are self-conscious because of the way that our society has made it out to be like, you have to be the best at everything. And I have come to the conclusion (laughs) that being okay with yourself really makes you okay with other people. And it makes you okay. I really think that if everyone just like loved themselves or not even loved themselves, but accepted themselves and really figured themselves out, I don't think we would have as many problems as we have. Like, I think it would save the world. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You're so right. I 100% agree. There's, um, we, that's also an enormous problem, not just in our society, but around the world, this self-esteem issue. And, you know, it's kind of like love. Like you, we've all heard, you have to learn to love yourself before you can love another person. This is, you know, in that same vein, all need to learn to accept ourselves so we can accept other people if we don't learn to love and accept ourselves we will most likely have to deal with a host of mental emotional and physical issues from that ranging from you know anxiety and depression to obesity and and other health problems so that's that's really a far-reaching concept this this concept of self-esteem and and acceptance and just self-acceptance yeah it's almost yeah. like you hear now like body positivity and body love and self-love is this is a big thing and that's good i think that's a great thing to bring to the table but we almost have to accept ourselves before we can get to that point yes yeah Accepting that you can't, no matter what you do, no matter if, you know, in regards to an eating disorder, no matter how much you, how little calories you eat, how much you run, what you do, you really aren't changing. You're really not going to change yourself. Right. And harsh judgment results in shame, you know, and Mm -hmm. shame is like a cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you are constantly judging yourself, I should be doing this better. You know, I shouldn't be doing this. I can't believe I just did this this way. I'm the stupidest person in the world. You know, Mm -hmm. whatever your internal self-talk is, that, that sits in your body as shame. And shame is the opposite of a motivator. Um, it depresses us. It makes us anxious. It makes us fearful. And, and that will keep you from living a fulfilled, happy life. But you're right when you can say, you know what? I'm okay where I am right now. I'm okay. That person is okay where they are right now. I'm not going to place any judgment. I'll just make a decision about whether or not I want to, you know, move in a different right. direction tomorrow or change something tomorrow. But right. but right now in this moment, everything's okay. And I accept that. Instead of looking for external things to tell you that it's okay. Absolutely. I know Absolutely. that's really common too. Just looking for people, praise from people or anything, just any kind of external validation to mm-hmm. tell yourself, oh yeah, I, I am a good person. I am, this is good. I am good. I'm doing good. But if you don't really believe that yourself, it's not really going to matter what anyone, you know, whatever, whatever external value you're getting. Right. I totally agree. It's kind of like, you know, with the external validation, you're, you're like a little leaf blowing in the wind, you know, your opinion of yourself is going to change depending on what you're around and what people are saying and who likes you and who doesn't. But if you are okay with yourself, no matter what's going around on around you externally or no matter who you come up against or 
what you experience, then it's more like, you know, I'm imagining that as more like a tree with roots. You know who you are. You know, winds can come and go, changes can come and go, weather can come and go, but you're still a tree and that's a beautiful, perfect thing to be. Yeah, exactly. So for anyone listening that feels like, you know, they might be in this, in this situation or they're on their journey to recovering or anything really, um, I wanted to ask you, do you think that these struggles and these things happen for a reason? Like they're trying to tell us something that, because for me, I'm almost thankful that I went through Mm -hmm. something like this because I Mm. think I would not be as aware of things that I am aware of now if I never, if I never went through this. So it's almost like you said earlier, a gift and it's yes. a ter- it seems terrible, but it is almost like a gift. And when you, when you start feeding into it and start healing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, um, of course, all of us as humans, all of us go through tough stuff. Everyone, you know, might have different shades of that or, you know, deal with um, different nuances of pain or trauma. But we all are going through difficult things. And um, I do agree with you that if you, if you can find a way to almost use that as fuel, to, to make sense of it and, and figure out, well, you know, this happened in my life. Obviously, it's a reality. It already happened or it is happening. So how can I make friends with this and figure out what I can learn from it? How can I, how can I use this to become a better person? And if you can learn how to do that with every tough situation in your life, you're unstoppable. You know, yeah. that's, exactly. that's real acceptance. You know, Byron Katie talks a lot about that, that there's this fear that a lot of people have that if you, if you find that acceptance of, you know, the pain or the trauma that you're going through, then you'll become complacent. But it's actually entirely the opposite once you accept yourself, once you accept what you've been through as just part of your reality, as just part of your life, then all of a sudden you kind of free yourself from that shame and you find this motivation to use it um, to become a more fulfilled, more balanced, more healthy, helpful person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just able to handle things better when yes. any, anything in life. Absolutely. And it's, it's a journey to get there. It's definitely not like a snap of the fingers, but, and I almost, I think it's a lifelong journey. Cause I think it's always, you're always learning. You're always absolutely learning, Okay. This made me feel like this, or why do I feel like this? And it's just, but the awareness of it, like being aware of that is so important. Yes. I totally agree. It's, we're never done, you know, we're never done evolving. I mean, um, that's one of the most important lessons that both of my parents taught me and they didn't even have to say it. I just watched it and how they lived, you know, never stop learning, never stop growing. Um, there's no limit to the number of awakenings that you can have. And, and I think that, that growing and, and continuing to be, you know, to have our minds and our bodies, our spirituality, our emotions stimulated in healthy ways that help us grow and change, you know, in, in positive ways. That's, that's one of the key components, I think, to living a, a happy, well-adjusted human life. Yeah, I definitely agree. Oh, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much to talk about this. I feel like I literally could talk to you forever. 
Oh, um, me too. Me too. But we are getting towards the end. So I wanted to... Oh my gosh, to, that was so fast. Wasn't it so fast? <laughs> I know, it was so fast. I feel like there's so many other things I wanted to ask you. Um, maybe I'll have to have you back. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Um, so I know you mentioned a couple of books and I wrote those down and I'm going to put those in the show notes for um, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. to look at for resources. Are there any other like of your favorite quotes? I know you have a lot of quotes and books and little things that you like to use for, you know, for recovery and for learning. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would recommend? I don't have any specific quotes that come to mind, but, but I can tell you, um, uh, I mentioned Byron Katie, her book, Mm -hmm. Loving What Is, was one of the books that changed my life. Okay. It it was completely a, a transformative way of thinking for me. So I highly recommend that. And I recommend that book, um, to, almost all of my clients. As far as addiction, the same writer that I mentioned earlier, or journalist, his name's Johan Hari, he wrote um, a phenomenal book about addiction called Chasing the Screen. You have so many books. (laughs) I know, I have so many book recommendations. Uh, (laughs) A a great one, you know, I'm big on um, helping people learn how to breathe in healthy ways. I kind of think that's one of the easiest ways to start teaching people how to practice mindfulness, how to go within. And um, my favorite book on breathing is, is called The Breathing Book. And I think the author of that, her last name is Farhi, uh, okay. F-A-R-H-I. So those are a few of my favorites. Yeah. I, I read a lot and, and that's another thing that I encourage people to do is, you know, study, read, take in new information. There's so much out there. You know, some people call that bibliotherapy. That can be an extremely helpful way to kind of rehab yourself, you know, in your own time. Yeah. And also I think it helps with realizing that what you're feeling is that you're not the only one in the world that feels like that. And it's, oh, yes. Yes. That's so reassuring just to know that, just to know that you're not alone and there's nothing wrong with you. I think that's a common thing that people think Mm -hmm. that they're broken and they're just not right. Something's wrong with them. Mm. When you realize that other people feel that way too. And this is how, you know, that helps me a lot. This is how I felt like that. And this is how I started down the path of self-discovery and, and acceptance. Yeah, you're totally right. That, that feeling of, oh my gosh, enough people know about this and and feel this way that someone wrote about it. I'm definitely not alone. That is very uplifting. And going back to what we were talking about with depression, that makes you feel more connected to other Mm -hmm. people, you know, so, so that's kind of, uh, can be an instant boost. I'm not alone. Um, I'm not wrong. Actually, this, I had this thought the other night while listening to, um, a different podcast that, this quote just kind of ran through my mind, like, you're not wrong. You've just been brainwashed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So there's this element of like, we have to disconnect from these narratives that we've kind of been fed and that we've learned about what is the best way to live or how we're supposed to go about living this life. And really we, we all have to find our own way and um, figure out what's best for us. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. There's no like one answer. Mm-hmm. It's just figuring out what works best for you and what connects you best to yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's, and I mean, I, I agree with that. When I read books, I read a bunch of books um, in the beginning of this and of this journey and it helped a lot. And then so did podcasts. Podcasts helped a lot too. Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, it's so helpful. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, how can the listeners stay in touch with you? Um, you know, like your email address, your website. I also know that this weekend, March 10th, right, you have a breathing and meditation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, I, so I'm, I'm doing a, um, breathing and meditate. It's called breathing and meditation for the unquiet mind. And that, um, is a three hour workshop this coming Saturday, like you said, March 10th in Kingsport, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Um, and if in that workshop, I'll be covering, um, the ways that our breath can be disordered, the effects that can have on our mind and our bodies, how we can use pranayama, which means um, breath control or manipulation in yoga, um, to heal a lot of our um, emotional, mental, and physical issues. And then I'll also be giving some meditation or some information um, on different types um, and techniques for meditation. Um, in that workshop, we also are going to have um, a special treat. We'll have a heart therapist playing for us. So um, that should be incredibly special as well. Oh, that's awesome. Um, if anyone wants to sign up for that or just contact me and learn more about the talk therapy um, and yoga instruction that I offer, they can do so via my email address, which is deepwelljourney at gmail.com. Okay, awesome. And, I'll put and this I all also have a website and that's uh, deepwelljourney.com. Okay, perfect. And I will put all of this in the show notes so that it's accessible. Um, yeah, but anyone that's in the Tennessee area, I would definitely recommend it because you said yourself that you think breathing is one of the first steps to to getting the connection. So that's right. Yeah. It has important. been for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just makes you aware of, of yourself. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I would check that out for sure. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on here. You're, you have so much knowledge and it's so helpful. And uh-huh. I just think you're great. So <laughs> thank, thank you. you so much, Shelby. <laughs> it's really been such a pleasure and 100% my treat um, to be on the show and I'm so excited to continue to listen to what you have to offer. This is really great. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, thank you so much.